I love the song, How He Loves. Um, he is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. Such a beautiful line there. And if you don't know the history of that song, it's, it's, it's amazing. Because the person who originally wrote it, his name is John Mark McMillan. He's actually my favorite artist. And he wrote that song after his best friend died, tragically, in a car accident. And so he was really wrestling with God. And so that song is born out of that, you know, anger and just truth of who God is. And so the lyrics take on new power where it's bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy, which is pretty interesting. I just, I just had to share that because I love that story behind that song. It's just beautiful. Um, but good to be back here. Uh, again, I'm, I always love coming here. You guys are so welcoming, and uh, I just really enjoy it. And uh, this sermon is just on John chapter 2. It's where we're going to be. Uh, I actually just preached this one a couple weeks ago. This was pre-Palm Sunday is what we called it. And so the, it's, it's born out of the idea of like taking the, what the Old Testament was foreshadowing and then Jesus fulfilling that in the New Testament. And so that's what this is based out of. And like I said, it, it's the, uh, we see the entire Old Testament as, as proclaiming and foreshadowing this event that's coming. And that was the, the arrival of Jesus and, and the death on the cross. And uh, so that, that's where this comes from. So I'll read the entire passage. It's John chapter 2. Verses 13 through 22. And then we'll just go, I'll pray after that. So, uh, John 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, Take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you for your word. As always, we, we are so thankful that we get to come here and, and I get to proclaim your word and that we get to, to study it and treasure it, Father. So I pray that whatever you're doing in our hearts right now, that, that you would speak, that, that your words would speak to people in this room right now, Father. And so I, I pray that you would use me to do that. Um, and I pray that we would worship you, Jesus, for, for your sacrifice and, and what you have done for us and what you continue to do for us every single day of our lives. And so we just thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So starting out in verse 13, what happens right prior to this is the wedding at Cana where Jesus turns the water into wine. And so it was a great symbol there of what happens. And then we, we have in verse 13, it says, And the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Uh, I always like to, to think about their setting the context here with that statement. Passover, one of the most famous holidays in the Jewish religion, probably the famous one, and what it symbolizes Passover is when Moses uh, was talking to the people, they had to put the blood on the doorposts, and God passed over those that had blood on the doorposts and killed the firstborn of Egypt. It was the, the miracle that brought them salvation and brought them out of slavery. And so it is, you can't ignore the symbolism here when he's talking about Passover. Right before this as well in John chapter 1, 
Uh, verse 29, John the Baptist was preaching, and he saw Jesus, and he pointed at him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you have that context coupled with this idea of its Passover and, and what that represents, the sacrifice of this Lamb, and, and that that is salvation for sin. And so that's where we are in this story. Verse 14 says, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So I always ask the question, okay, why is that an issue? They say it as a negative here. So why is that a bad thing? What was the point of sacrifice? Why, you know, why would someone be upset at seeing that? I think it's because they were completely missing the point of what the temple was for and what sacrifice was for. Right? It wasn't supposed to be this element of, uh, of just bringing animals and buying and selling things. And they had made it this center point of trade, and that's not what that is for. Uh, it's about sacrifice is what the temple is for. It's about this holy act that takes place where you present this animal as a representation of you, and this animal is killed because that's what our sin deserves. And then God is pardoning that sin with that sacrifice. And they were completely missing that point. Uh, I'm always reminded of this in, in Psalm 50. This is a really interesting verse from God where he says, Psalm 50, Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. So God here is rebuking Israel for their sacrifices. He's saying, do you not get what's going on here? This is not about blood. This is not about animals. If I required that stuff, I wouldn't tell you anyways. And he's, he's saying there is more to this. It's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. This is about bringing your gift to God in, in, in exchange for pardoning of your sin here. And sacrifice was about, God's, about your trust in God's provision. You were to take your best, your, your best lamb, your best bull, and have that sacrifice because you are faithful that God will always provide that for you. And then, again, the, the last part of it, though, is that it was also about symbolizing our debt to sin. Okay, that's what sacrifice was for. It was that picture of, of death and that that's what we deserve for our sin. And so that's why it's an issue that all these things are going on inside the temple. That's why. It's because it's a, uh, they were completely missing the mark on what it was for here. So verse 15a, um, first part of it, it says, And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And I, I just step back and just visualize this for a second. You have God in the flesh doing this, making a whip of cords, driving people out. And again, notice how it's worded there. He, um, he drives them all out of the temple. That's people with the sheep and oxen. So he's driving people out of here and also the, the animals. And I just can't imagine that. Like, can you imagine seeing that at your local farmer's market, somebody doing this? That's the equivalent right, in our modern day. And he does this. And, again, he just makes a whip of cords. I have a little joke about like, like a MacGyver thing where he just out of nowhere makes this whip, which is quite amazing here. <laughs> it just, he just makes it here and drives them all out. And then what, what you see here is that the complete lack of respect for God's temple is what drove Jesus to this. 
And I want to be careful here because I think sometimes people view this as Jesus losing his temper, and that is not it at all. Okay? God is slow to anger, always. So is Jesus. And to prove that, he saw this practice for 30 years. Every single time he went to the temple, he saw this happening. So it wasn't just a reactionary, all of a sudden, he snaps. No, 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 no. This was a patient correction of this behavior. Okay? And again, it's about timing. He started his ministry officially, and then he does this. Okay? So you have to see God's patience and slow to anger in this story. Um, and again, it's, it's amazing to see that when he starts his ministry, that's when this occurs. Um, so the, the whip is really interesting. So he makes a whip of cords. Greek word there, same word used for the weapon that's used against Jesus when he's scourged, it's called. Uh, when they beat him and flogged him before his crucifixion. And you have to see the, the symbolism in that as well. So God here in this instance creates this weapon to drive out people, drive out sin from the temple. That same weapon will be created by man to punish him, but it's how God uh, cleanses our sin. It's just an amazing picture there to see this beautiful, um, again, symbolism of what's going on. So the whip will also be used against God, but again, it's to drive out sin. And you cannot miss that symbolism here, which is, uh, again, a beautiful part of this passage. Um, So the second part of verse 15, it says, And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. So this is another visual representation of what's happening in this cleansing of this temple. Right, drives out the people and the animals and then the money and the, the, the trade that's going on. Um, one uh, commentator, he was talking about this, it says, it, it really shows the contempt Jesus had towards money in the temple. Okay? And he didn't care about it. He dumped it out on the ground. Just visualize that. Takes it and just dumps it on the ground as if it's like water to be wasted. Okay? Dumps it out like garbage, and then he turns over the tables. Just a visual representation of completely dismantling what was going on. They're changing something about what happens inside of the temple. And so it's a complete displeasure in those attempting to gain and profit from the temple. There's a whole other sermon on that topic. I won't go into that right now. But uh, this is a visual representation of that in this encounter. So, Verse 16, Jesus speaks after doing this. And he told those who sold pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. This, first of all, is an often overlooked statement of deity. So this is Jesus calling himself God's son. He says, my father's house, uh, which is really interesting. He, he just called God his father, and he could have been put to death for that statement alone. So you have to, to see that. That is actually a statement of deity there. And then in verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, what's very interesting about this is that this is the first time we see the disciples attributing something in the Old Testament as applying to Jesus. Okay? This is a, they're saying, they're quoting a verse, Psalm 69, verse 9, and they're saying that applies to Jesus, which is amazing because at no point in, in the history of this book had they done that before, and it's disciples making that connection. And so, uh, the statement I have for this is that the disciples were seeing a passion for God's temple 
that they had only ever read about. And here they're seeing it lived out. And what happens is it sparks in their mind that that's actually something from the Old Testament and that they're applying it to Jesus, which is beautiful. So, again, the, this is really the, the incident, okay? And then we're going to have an interchange here. So, again, I just want to pause and review what has occurred, okay? I, again, visualize what Jesus has just done. He has shout, he's been shouting at people. He's been driving them out. He's been turning over tables, and he's been using a weapon, okay? This is an an, uh, amazing uh, event that occurs. The closest thing to it is, I don't know if you've ever done this on on YouTube, they have these clips of, they called public freakouts, okay? I watch them sometimes, they're quite comical. And what what I, I'm not comparing Jesus to those people because it's very sinful action, but what I'm comparing is the spectacle. What happens is people freak out in public in the mall, and they go nuts, and everybody stands around and records it. And they're just in shock. And that's what's happening here. Everybody's standing away from him, watching this occur. And that, that's, again, the closest thing we have to that today of seeing this. And what you have is Jesus has driven everything out, and he is standing there by himself inside of this large temple. Everybody's looking at him. Understand the symbolism there. Okay? Jesus has just driven out all the animals, which are used for sacrifice, all the people which are making the sacrifices for the sin, and it's just left with him standing there. Visualize that, because that is so powerful when you see that in the story, that it's about him being in the center of that temple now, especially during Passover. So verse 18, uh, the Jews, they, they say to him, standing there, what sign do you show us for doing these things? What sign? Um, this is a common question they asked of all the prophets, Right? When Moses comes back, they say, what sign do you have? And that's where he does the staff, turn into a snake. Uh, they do it, you know, in, in a lot of other prophets, they ask for these signs to show, okay, so how, why is God for you here? Why is he telling you this? And so basically they're asking, who are you and what is your authority to do this? That's what they're asking in that question. And Jesus, if you remember, later on says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for signs. Um, but here he says, he actually tells them what the sign is in verse 19. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So this again is an omnipresent foreshadowing of what's going to occur to him. Again, sovereign here, saying he will be destroyed, and the exact number of days. Three days is what it will take and he will raise himself up again. Uh, Jesus turns the focus of the event to his death and resurrection. Please see that. They're saying, what authority do you have to drive all this stuff out? And he says, my authority is that you're going to destroy this temple, and I'm going to raise it up in three days. And so he turns the focus of the event to his death and resurrection, which again is perplexing to those standing around, because they have no idea what he's talking about. But us looking back at this, reading this, we know exactly what he's talking about here. Um, so, and again, what's interesting about that statement that Jesus makes is that this is one of the accusations they bring against him in the trial. When he, this is what actually condemns him, are these statements here. They refer to that and they say, he said he was going to destroy the temple. And it was used as a negative there to actually condemn him, which is really powerful. And it's also recorded in Matthew and Mark, which I find so fascinating because this is the only time he says that in the Gospel of John. 
but in Matthew and Mark is where it's recorded that he said it. So just see, you see the continuity of the scriptures here, which is really powerful. Um, that was something I saw. But. And then he's also taunted by this by the people when he's on the cross. He is taunted this way. He said, oh, you said you would destroy the temple and raise it up. Uh, so this statement, it was a memorable statement Jesus made and one that people remembered. This powerful statement here that, that he will destroy the temple and raise it up in three days. So, verse 20 says, The Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? The beauty of this temple was unmatched. Okay, this was Herod's temple. He was, uh, what's the word I want to use here? He was arrogant and wanted something great and grand to be built, bigger than Solomon's temple. Um, so the temple was, it was in three forms, right? We had the, the tent, which is what they used. And then King David wanted to build the temple, and God was like, no, you can't build it. And so Solomon built his grand temple. That was then destroyed, the Babylonians. And then later on, Herod rebuilds it again. Well, it's rebuilt again for a short period of time before captivity, or right after captivity. And then they come back, and Herod builds this grand temple. That was a spectacle. And so it took 46 years to build this thing which is an amazing feat of construction. But that's why they're, they're completely missing the point here. They think that he's talking about this physical place, uh, that he's talking about that temple. And again, viewing what Jesus had just done, he's standing there by himself in a room saying, destroy this temple. You can almost picture him pointing to himself, but they're missing the mark there. And then that's it. That's all we get for the conversation. It just ends there at verse 20. We don't get the rebuttal from the Pharisees. We don't get anything like that. It just ends. But what's incredible is that John, the writer of this gospel, then says something profound. He says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. He says, he, he teaches us that this was about Jesus' body being broken for us. And then he adds the statement that, um, he says, when therefore he was raised from the dead... His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So he adds a statement that shows that they strengthened their faith because of this statement, this event here. And he, he's showing that they had faith in Jesus after the resurrection because of this event. Really powerful stuff. Um, so, like I said, it's, it, this seems like a strange event when you look at it just surface, you know, just reading it. But again, when you couple it with the, the setting, it's Passover, what that represents for the Jewish people, and actually for, for God's people in that. It's about a sacrifice that takes place to pass over sin and to rescue you from death. And Jesus drives everything out. We're left seeing him in the temple alone, and he makes it all about him in that moment because it is about him. Everything that the Old Testament foreshadowed, all the sacrifices all the, the, the bringing of animals and killing them and slaughtering them was about Jesus, the Passover lamb. Everything was foreshadowing that moment. And here we have at the start of Jesus' ministry, him proclaiming that it's about him. The temple is now being restored. It's about him. And that is so powerful. But I think there's another profound thing here. And I, I, I pray that, that people understand this point, because I, I titled this message The Restoration of God's Temple, 
Because in the Old Testament, the temple represented a physical place that God dwelled. Okay, you had the tent of meeting, which contained the Holy of Holies, which was this place where God's spirit was that only the high priest could go into. And the Ark of the Covenant was in that room. And it just represented that God's spirit was inside of that temple. And that was the Old Testament view of it. And then the New Testament does something profound. It actually switches that. Okay? It, it takes the temple and turns it around. It says that the temple is no longer this physical space. Uh, the temple was destroyed. That was Jesus. It makes him that temple. But then it says something else. It says that we become the temple of God because the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of us now. There is a switch that occurs with Jesus' ministry and when he dies and then is, uh, rises again. So let, let me hold on with me. Just turn to 1 Corinthians 6, if you would. First Corinthians 6, and then verse 19 through 20. And this is where I'm getting this from. Okay, this is the switch here. Um, so instead of a place where you have to go daily to make offerings for sin, there was only one offering for all sin. That's what Jesus is showing us. Destroy this temple. He's cleaning out the sacrifices. It's just him now. He is the sacrifice. He fulfills that promise. Instead of a man-made place where God's Spirit dwells, there's a new temple made by God. All right, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Okay? And this is what I think is profound about Scripture and what it says about us as believers now. We are now the temple of God. We have become the place where God's Spirit dwells. And Paul, what he's doing here in 1 Corinthians is saying, that is a serious thing. It requires us to change the way that we think, the way that we act, and it's, it even says your body is now this holy thing. And so you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And what I think is profound about all of this is that you saw how zealous Jesus was for his temple. Okay? You saw what he was doing because God's name was being uh, blasphemed in that temple. And so I always turn it around and say, if God is zealous for his temple, that means that he is zealous for us that way. Okay? And it is powerful because we are now found in Christ, and we get to now all that authority and all of that um, righteousness and, and the righteous anger that he has towards sin is now for us and that we get to now live and God is zealous for us and changing us and, and wanting to see sin eradicated from us. So I'm always encouraged by this because, again, it's God's way of saying that we are now the temple here and he is zealous for us. And I don't mean it in that we're now the, the central focus of this life. No, 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 no. Jesus is still the central focus. I mean it as in God will cleanse his temple. Okay? He cleanses us, and the Holy Spirit now is in us to guide us and to walk with us. So, again, instead of a, a, a man-made place where God's Spirit dwells, he now has a place where, again, God created us, he built us, he made us, and that is where his temple is now. So the destruction of God's temple was about restoring the temple that God originally created. Think about that. Back in the garden, he created us, and we were without sin. 
and he dwelled with us, it says. And the, the destruction of the temple, again, Jesus, he's the temple of God. He's always been the temple of God. That destruction of him brought restoration to us. Again, it was, it was fulfilling everything that had been promised from the beginning, and now through Jesus it is fulfilled. And I, again, I just think that is so beautiful in this passage, again, the start of Jesus' ministry. So we become a place where God's Spirit dwells on this earth. And then, like I said, the encouragement and the challenge that I have for us is to realize that, that we've been called to live in a different way. We are now, we contain God's Spirit. We have the power, the, the Spirit, and, and He will cleanse us. But again, that, that should challenge us to live differently. It really should. Um, so, again, this was a really short message. I apologize for that. But I, I just want to say that, that this, if you truly pray about this, this will change your life. If you understand that God is zealous for His temple, which means He is zealous for you. Okay? And so let me pray for us. Closing. Um, Father, we just we praise you because, first of all, we see the sovereign nature of everything that you've done in history and how it all points to you, Jesus. We thank you for that, that we get to look at your word and see that in Scripture, that everything points to you and, and that you have conquered death, that you have defeated sin. We praise you for that truth. And I pray that that as we walk out of here, and myself included in this, that we would remember and treasure the fact that you have made us your temple, that the Holy Spirit is inside of us, and that we have the power to defeat sin, that that, that you have done it once and for all, and that we can trust in your provision, and that we don't need sin anymore, Father. And so I just pray for us as we walk out of here that we would turn and, and remember who we are in you, and that we would just, again, um, be so open to what you're leading us to do and, and guiding us. And I just pray that we remember that truth, that, that we are now your temple and that you are zealous for your temple, Father. So we just thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.